Sorry about the mix-up in the bulletin. Carrie said, hey, can you do me a favor? You, she said it in a nice way, but said, you put the wrong song in the bulletin. Can you make an announcement? And I had one job. <laughs> you figured it out, though, so that's good. Uh, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm really kind of excited about this one. That replaced as we talk about these metaphors of atonement. And uh, today, the whole premise is, again, that Jesus talks in many different ways. And the Bible talks in many different ways about our salvation and what that looks like. And it uses terms like victory. It uses terms like um, declared not guilty in a courtroom. And it tears, uh, I think, maybe the most in-depth one. And one of the more complicated ones to explain is exile and coming home. And so we're going to spend a fair amount of time just covering history, and we're going to go, go, kind of go back in time because we have to go back to the beginning for it to make sense for um, how it's talked about in the New Testament. So I'm asking for your patience as that. We're going to make our way through that, and I think we're going to enjoy that. Before that, though, we're, we're talking about home. So um, I just read awesome quotes about home. Home is where the heart is and things like that. If any of you have these posters or like you go to Hobby Lobby and they put these, these wooden is it even real wood, fake wood, uh, real wood? They put stickers on, and usually many of them have to do with home or family or love. These are, like, have you ever seen these? Does anyone have one? Good, right? So there's certain quotes. And this is probably my favorite one. I didn't see this at Hobby Lobby, but I think it's coming soon. Um, home is where you don't make your bed. Out there is where you tell people that you do. So, <laughs> so if, I, if anyone makes a board for that, I'll put that, I'll put that up. But what are we getting at? Home is where you're comfortable and you, can't, you don't have to be judged and you can feel safe and you don't, it's just so nice to be home. And if you've ever been displaced and been out of that, you can imagine what these feelings are involved and you can imagine how do you feel when you're not at home and you're kind of displaced. And this is in our culture, right? We have a culture that's uh, very often, there, there's layoffs. We have people that move all the time. One in five people move every year. It's pretty common. And so you're moving, you're going to this place, and you go to some place, uh, you feel vulnerable, I think. Um, you feel unsettled. It feels like there's this weight. And did you ever put like the pictures up on the wall finally? And you're like, I cannot believe how good this feels just to have a picture on the wall in the right place. Or when do people buy houses? So anyone has moved recently? When do people buy houses? They buy them in the spring. Why do they buy them in the spring? So if you're going to sell your house, now's the time to do it. But if you're going to, why do we do it in the spring? If you have kids, it's so that you can actually get into your home and then you can settle down enough so that when school starts, you've got a place. Um, this happened a number of years ago, and I've shared this story, but this came up again. So when I was younger, we've had two house fires. I said, neither one is my fault. Uh, but we had, two, we had two house fires, but one was a major house fire. It burned the whole top of our, our house when I was in Wisconsin, and I was like two years old. So we went on the way to my grandparents' house, and my mom was talking about this, and it's kind of a, it turned out to be a blessing, so I'll start there. Uh, we had seven people in, uh, how many square feet? If you don't count the basement, like 1,500 square feet, so plenty of room. Um, and then the, the roof burned, so then they put dormers in, so it added, I forgot how many, like two more bedrooms to the house, and it was this amazing, good experience through God. That's not exactly how I think everyone saw it, but I remember my mom looking back on it, and she said, we tried to rent a house as fast as we could because I knew you kids needed a home, right? So this is a natural, there's this thing. So now we got to go back in time. You got to do this exercise with me to imagine it, we got to go kind of almost all the way back to the beginning. And um, outside of your home means you're in exile. And that's a term that comes up all the time in the Bible. It's not one that we use super 
it's not a super common term here. We don't say these people are in exile or something like that. We talk about refugees in a sense, that they're kicked out of their home or they had, they're forced to leave their home and they have these, these unsettling feelings. So we're going to be looking in a couple different places to follow this through. But to go all the way back to the beginning, you think of Adam and Eve. We had the story of Adam and Eve. God makes for them a home. They didn't just like live anywhere they wanted in the whole planet. God didn't say, here's the planet, go live wherever you want. God says, I'm going to make a home for you. And so here they are in the Garden of Eden and they have one job, right? And what is the one job? Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Otherwise, you are exiled from home. You have to leave. And so what happens? They, we just read the account. They, they eat of the tree and they're kicked out of their home kind of forever, always in exile, always wondering, wondering like, where do we go? So now we speed uh, millennia forward and centuries uh, forward and we get to Abraham. Abraham is a nomad. Abraham's a wanderer. And so he comes all the way down from Haran. God says, I'll, I'll tell you where. You just keep going around. So Abraham's moving all around trying to find these spots, but eventually he ends up in the promised land and God makes a promise to him. And that promise is pretty simple. He said, I'm going to make, uh, I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to make you a great nation, and the whole world is going to be blessed through you. So the people of Israel kind of longed for this sense of identity and this sense of home. And if even if you know modern Jewish politics, there's a major emphasis about finding this place called home. So here is Abraham, and Abraham has a son Isaac, and Isaac has a son Jacob, and Jacob eventually has these sons, and they go to Egypt, and you know the story. They get to Egypt, and things are great for a while in Goshen, but then turn south, and they become slaves. And God calls an 80-year-old man to say, I want you to lead these people out. And so we have hail and blood and locusts and gnats and boils and all these things that happen. Darkness. But the last of those plagues, God says, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go into the homes of those who did not trust in me, and I'm going to take away their firstborn. And Egypt breaks, right? The Pharaoh breaks and says, get these, get out of Egypt. We don't want you here. But then you know the story, what happens next. The people don't immediately find a home. They wander 40 years, manna, quail, new spot, temporary temple. They move and they move and they move. And we're talking like 2 million people, they estimate, just in the desert at kind of the wilderness for 40 years. But eventually God makes this promise to uh, not to Moses, but he makes his promise to Joshua. And if you listen very closely, here's how it, here it goes. So Joshua, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses' servant is, uh, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set foot, as I promised Moses, the territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country and the Mediterranean Sea to the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or, nor forsake you. And here's a classic verse. Be strong and crea uh, courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful whatever you do. God says, I'm going to give you this amazing land, 
and you've got one job. Follow my commands. I think you know the story that people don't follow the commands and they chase after other gods and the prophets come and they warn the people, you've got to stop doing this or God is going to bring destruction to you. 300 years later, the northern tribes, 10 of them, are destroyed and they go up north and they never return again. 586, if you know the story, the people are still, that warning of the northern tribes doesn't do it and they still follow these other gods and God says punishment is coming in the form of Babylon and Babylon comes and they scoop up all the people, most of the people, and they take them away. So just think for a second, just put yourselves in that shoes. It's a, it's a little hard, like if you went home now, and just today, right after church and there was like an eviction notice, I don't know if that would work, does that even work if you own your house? Yeah, that works, right? Okay, so there's an eviction notice. Like you have these mixed feelings, like this is, this is terrible and, and I don't know where we're going to go and we're unsettled or somehow you can't get in or it says this is a contaminated area or this is a crime scene or who knows what. Something has happened at your home, you can't get in and this unsettling feeling. But like even if our house burns down, you can get a new one, right? Like you can find some place. What would happen if collectively a nation stormed into the United States, we'll just say Castle Rock if you live here. Some of you are like, I live in Parker. Okay, in Parker. And they take most of us away. Like, just empty our houses and they take most of us away and we go to an exotic place like Mexico City. Okay, we're just there. And you think, oh, I wish I was back home because it would just be a different world and you'd have to learn how to function. And this is a 70-year period, but let's just say it's like a 10-year period because... I don't want any of you to die in the meantime because it ruins the illustration. So it's 10 years, but it's dog years. So it's actually 70 years when you get back. So this is what's happening. You get all the way back. And what happens if the decree came, which is exactly what happened for Israel, and said, you are now allowed to go back home? Like, how good would that feel? Like, has anyone ever been displaced from their house because they had to do a big construction project on it? And they go, you can now use your kitchen again like tears of joy. You can now use your deck again, right? This is going to be, I can now use my backyard again when you go through these projects. You can now use your basement. And it's just this magical feeling. And so you come all the way back and you would think like, this is the greatest moment of my life, except it wasn't for the people of Israel. Like they were God's chosen people and God said, I have given you this land and they had all these memories. And this is what you have to kind of keep in mind when you think exile. They were in exile for 70 years they come all the way back, and what do you think it would be like? What would your house be like if no one lived in it for 70 years? Like, just think of walking downtown Castle Rock. No one really bought stuff here. And you look around, and you're like, man, this used to be pretty awesome. Or if you go to the Park Meadows Mall, maybe that's it, right? So you go to the Park Meadows Mall, you can imagine how much effort is involved in that. Or has is, is anyone grown up in a culture where malls were cool? Um, when I was a kid, you go back, and, it, and you go back to these malls that were brand new when I was a kid, like, and this is like the 90s or 80s, 80s, and you go back now, and you're like, what in the world? Like, it's beat up, and the movie theater isn't quite the same, and like, your heart kind of sinks a little bit. It's just not the same. The same thing walking around. The people of Israel did the same thing. They looked, and the, the city was in ruins. The temples destroyed, and the people, when they saw it, when they built the new temple, we'll talk about that in a different day, but like they wept, not because they were so happy, but they just said it's not what it used to be. It's kind of like, uh, have you ever done Route 66? When I was in Europe, um, this is years and years ago, but I was in Europe, people wanted to get a big Cadillac. I heard this probably five or six different times, mostly from Australians because they get so much time off work, but 
They said, I want to get this big Cadillac and I want to drive Route 66. But would Route 66 be the same as its former glory? It's like a shell of its former self. You see a couple gas stations and stuff and you're going, eh, this isn't that great. And that's kind of what had happened. You know, we talked about Nehemiah and Ezra. They team up to build the temple. And Nehemiah in 52 days makes the walls like passable. But it was never what it was. And so there's a broken people. And so you'd think all these warnings to God said, okay, you're going to lose your your promised land. You're going to lose all these good things if you do not stay true to me. And they see their relatives shipped away for 70 years, and they finally come back. God says, just remain true to me. Do they do it? No, it's the same idolatry and the same apostasy and the same things that come, and the prophets warn again and again and again. And so what happens in the Bible is this metaphor of exile in Babylon is this spiritual exile. So the warnings really are not, the warnings are not so much that God is going to take their promised land away. God is saying, like, when you chase after these other things, you're not finding home in the right spot. You're finding it in the wrong spot. Well, God still fulfills his promises, right? He says there's a king who's going to come, and the Persians uh, take over, and then the Persians are defeated by the Greeks, and the Greeks are defeated by the Romans, and then it was a Roman government. In those days, Caesar Augustus issues a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and so a couple goes all the way down to their own town to register, and they have a baby. Paul says this a little bit differently. He says, When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law so that you can have the full rights of son. The king king had come. And so this man without a home finds a connection with those people who are displaced. And the man who uh, has a heart as he walks on this planet for those who didn't really have any hope. And so he gives hope to the hopeless and he gives a home to those without a home and he gives healing to those who are blind and he loves the people who are hated and, and those who are marginalized like those were his friends. He went into the home of what we call sinners. There's a strange thing that happens, though. Um, when I look back at time, and, and I still do this, especially as a kid, but when you hear the story of Israel, when God says so much is on the line, your, your whole existence, your whole home, and, and imagine we're hearing warnings that literally say you will be kicked out of your home if you don't stop doing this. That seems ridiculous that people would still do that. And then just on a, a national level, God says you are going to be evicted from your country if you don't change your ways. When I look back, I always think that the Israelites are so dumb. Right? Does anyone else feel this way? Like all these warnings and they get a prophet and another prophet. I'm like, why wouldn't they just listen? And I wonder, though, I mean, because Jesus enters this world, and it just as much as he loved everyone, he also saw into people's hearts. And he also sees into our own hearts. And what would someone who looked back in time into your own faith life look, and what would they say? Would they say you found a home in Jesus? Or would they say you found it in something else? Uh, my wife just went to uh, Nashville, so she had a conference, and I got to go see and, and hang out in Nashville, so this will be kind of a three-part thing to explain this, but um, when, when you don't have a home, it, so she went, and she went early, 
and she went to stay with her friend, and actually a friend of a friend. So this is, he's a musician, her friend is a musician, so then she stayed, this is going to sound, this is pretty big deal, she stayed on the couch of a friend who is the drum tech for Billie Eilish on tour. Yes, right? That's a pretty big deal. Um, actually, it is kind of a cool deal, but so she got to stay on the couch. I'm like, hey, how was it? Was it really cool? And she goes, well, I was really glad to get to the hotel. Why? Like when you don't have a home, just about anything feels right. Let me give you another example. So we're, we, I met up with her, and, and so we went to the world-famous Tootsie's Bar. Has anyone ever been to this? Sounds very classy. It's purple. Uh, so we, three floors of music, uh, music. So we go to the first floor, and it's crowded. And then we go to the second floor, and we didn't stay very long. And we go to the third floor, and it's packed, like wall-to-wall people in there. And they're playing, like, all the classic country songs, like Don't Stop Believing, proud to be an American. Uh, I didn't realize it was, uh, that, that was my moment. So I, this is a side thing. How much? 17. Okay. Um, I thought, this is really amazing. This is a, a band. So they bring up this guy and they just said, hey, this is Mitch. And Mitch was in the war and he had an IED or something, an explosion by his ear. He can barely hear, uh, but he wants to sing a song for you. And I thought, that is amazing that they would just give the stage to this guy. And then he's saying like the most perfect version of, of proud to be American. I'm like, wait a second. I bet they do this every night with Mitch. So Mitch was not just from the crowd. <laughs> I felt a little duped. But in that crowd, you're just hanging out, and it's like kind of wall-to-wall people. There's a spot that opened up and, uh, by the bar, and we got to sit down. And how good did that feel? Like we had a home. And we didn't have to worry about, like, everyone else, like, eyeing up our seats, like, you guys going to leave or anything like that. Uh, this maybe isn't real, because maybe you don't go to the bar at all. That's good. Uh, has anyone ever taken their kids to Disneyland? Or Disney World. You've taken your kids there? That's good, Julia. Um, so you take your kids to Disney World and you walk around like all day long. What is the most glorious moment of the whole entire day? The adults are saying Epcot Center. But, like the, the, but the most glorious moment really is like, I think when you finally get a spot, like you're standing on all these lines and you just sit and someone brings you some food. And it's like, oh, this feels so good. And when you don't have a home, just about anything feels right. And so where does this apply? I think when we talk about our own spiritual Babylons, it, if you don't have a home and who you are in Jesus, a whole lot of other things feel pretty good. And so maybe the home that you feel is that you're still prettier than the person you work with. Or maybe the home is that uh, you make a little bit more money than the guy down the street. Maybe your home is that makes you feel really good is that you've got more kids than other people. And maybe your home is, maybe not that you spend more money, maybe it's because you save money and just don't waste money like other people. Maybe you've got a home and saying, like, I volunteer at church. Or maybe you have a home that says, you know what, I'm pretty sure I give more money to church than the other people. When you don't have a home, just about anything feels right. A hotel feels incredible, but is it home? Like sitting down at Disney World, like is that home? Sure doesn't feel like home when the check comes, right? Like it's not, it's not the real thing. And the same thing is true with all these different things that for a moment make us feel comfortable because we haven't quite found our home. Lent is a time where we say, really, we're saying, dear Jesus, there are so many times where I have not found home in you 
and I found it in these other things. I am sorry. I repent. The man who didn't have a home starts talking about home, though. And he goes into people's homes. And he has a story that says, like, you are like a lost coin. And if I lost just one and I had 99 other things, I would chase after I'd clean the whole house to try and find you. He tells the story of this, this boy who runs away from his dad and leaves and just the utter heartbreak and, and in the distance he walks back. After all the sin and all the things he's afraid to ever tell his dad, his dad runs out to him and grabs him in arms and, and Jesus says that's who and that's how God is. Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go... If I go, I will come back to take you to be with me. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. Home is not here. Home is in Jesus. Home is in forgiveness, and home is in acceptance, and home is being part of the family. And there's going to be a day where we can finally rest and not worry about it. So I want to look at one other section. I know you're thinking, okay, I think he's done. Not quite. When you read the New Testament, you're going to run across this a number of times, especially with Peter. But I want to look at this one section. Um, but you are a chosen people, talking about the status we have because of Jesus. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light, this special status. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy Dear friends, I urge you, and I'm going to skip that for a second, to abstain from sinful desires which weighs war against the soul. Live such good lives that the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Does anyone have any idea what term he uses there? As foreigners and exiles. And you're going to run across this a number of times in the New Testament, and this is the Bible's way of saying you know, we don't have to worry about our nation being scooped up because God did not promise this nation. But we have to worry about our own spiritual Babylons, in a sense, the times where we got swept away by other things and we don't find our home in Jesus. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven with Christ. So just imagine with me, this is the last thing that we'll do. Just imagine with me, what would your life look like if you truly found your home in Jesus? What would your life look like as a parent if you said, this is where my value is and this is my home and who I stand in with Jesus, what would it look like as, a, as an employee or a grandparent or what does it look like as a single person? What does it look like as you get ready to go to Nashville and hang out at Tootsie's to say, this is what it looks like when my home is in Jesus? Now, one more step. What would it look like as a congregation if we said our home is in Jesus? How would we treat each other and how would we encourage each other? How would we love each other if we said our home is in Jesus and not in all these other things? I have a feeling for those of you who looked around and I think those who would come in here, it would look a lot like home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have a thousand distractions. There's so many things going on and there's so many things pulling at our heart and we look back at Israel and we think they, they are the stupidest nation of all time, but then people are going to look back at our own faith life 
Uh, we said that we're a Christian, but we found our home in so many different things on the outside. Maybe right now we're finding our home in money or power or sex or alcohol, or we're just trying to put, we're finding it in all these different things. Let's find our home in you and let that work through our lives in such a way that we can love in such a way that says this is not the end. The end is eternal and our end is with you. Amen.